Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, my friends. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio's Off the Shelf for this. It's a gorgeous Saturday, a little bit overcast here in Philadelphia, but I want to welcome you to our show here at Off the Shelf. Still waiting for the guest to um, to connect. I always tell them to call in three minutes early, but I never know what's going on with our guests. We've had a few occasions where they didn't show up, and I had to do something quick. <laughs> fill it in, usually sharing tips with you guys that can help you advance your careers. If I have to do that today, I will, but hopefully our guest, he's a series, of author of series books. I really, really want you to um, meet him today. Uh, he reached out for an interview. I tell you, I have not had to ask, go out and seek anybody to appear on Off the Shelf in years. We just People just keep coming to us. Over and over and over from all over the world, can I be on the show? Can I be on the show? So I haven't had to ask anybody to be on. They've asked to be on. And then when we can fit them in, we have them on. And he's one of those people, one of those authors who is, um publicist asked if he could be on the show. And I said yes. So uh, today, August 10th. Still waiting for him to connect, and hope he does. But I want to I want to welcome all of you to Off the Shelf this Saturday morning, August the tenth. I tell you, this time gets by so quickly. I can hardly believe that it is already. It seems like I just was saying it was August the first, and now we're all already ten days into the month. Whatever it is you want to do on any day or any week or in your life, I encourage you to do it. Because before you know it, that opportunity, that window of opportunity, is going to be gone. So you have to take advantage of it uh, when it appears. Doors don't just always stay open sometimes. They open and then they're already starting to close. So you got to go through when that door is open. I want to thank you again for joining us here this morning. As I always tell you, it is an absolute joy. And I do mean a joy to have you here with us. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Every single person who has supported in one way or the other or listened to Off the Shelf, who has read any of my books, who has supported any of my books, I I appreciate you. And I want to tell you that I so deeply appreciate you so thank you thank you thank you for those who are tuning in the first time you 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 know how you just looking for something to do and you you came on over to off the shelf radio i'm so glad that you did and i want to introduce myself to you i'm your host denise turney and as i always say i'm coming to you live from philadelphia pennsylvania the city of brotherly love as soon as i said it i thought about the start of the football season with the preseason games last night the philadelphia eagles played the um New England Patriots, the Patriots won, which didn't come as a surprise to me. On my way home, I was listening to sports radio, and some of the the, the people on the, on the show, they thought that the Eagles would win as a preseason game, and they thought that they'd have everybody have their second and third string in, and the Eagles would pull it out, but they didn't. I think it was 31-22, to 22, which I was happy to see the Eagles didn't get blowed out, but they have a new coach, and their quarterback being they still haven't picked who their permanent of a starting quarterback will be, but I'm glad they at least hung in there. Um, and I love love football, so glad to see it starting up again. Again, I thank you for your support, and I encourage you, my friend, don't let another day pass before you pick up a copy of my new book, which is Love Pour Over Me. This book, you're going to get you know when you read a story. First, you want to connect with the characters. You want the plot to be engaging so you can stay interested and curious as to how the story is going to turn out. It could be a romance. It could be a mystery. It could be a family saga. You still want to know what's going to happen to these characters, particularly the characters you care the most about. When you when you purchase a copy of Love Pour Over Me, you can get it in ebook for just three dollars and three cents. You can you're going to get mystery. You get romance. It's the friendships, though, and it's that really, really jump out at me. The friendships between these four men that is, it, it, I think, it, it's really, really going to move you. There was a book that came out years ago about these three men who were friends. They made a pact together, a promise. This friendship is these are friendships in love for me is deep like that. They're also high chase scenes, things that going to keep you on the edge of your seat and loads and loads of entertainment. And there's a relationship, the, besides the friendships, 
the relationship between a father and a son, which is a troubled relationship, but you get to watch it evolve and realistically evolve. And then also the relationship between Raymond Clark, who's a athletic standout and an academic standout. He's the one with the troubled relationship with his father. The re, the relationship he has with the love of his life, Brenda, a woman who's very down to earth. Uh, she's from Tennessee. The relationship you see the two of them have and how it evolves through the story. And I think there'll be parts of it you feel a, a, just a wealth of emotion uh, as you read Love Pour Over Me. I dare say, would would the book change some of your perceptions or maybe even the way you deal with some of your relationships when you reach the end of it. It is thought-provoking and deeply emotional. I think you were, it's a book that you really, really, really would appreciate having in your book collection. You won't ever know that just by hearing me talk about it. You'd have to read it yourself to know. And you can pick up a copy of Love Pull Over Me uh, today at any bookseller, online or offline. It's Barnes & Noble, uh, uh, uh Amazon, Walmart, Google Books, Apple. You can pick it in like Apple's iTunes, anywhere. You, if you, any store, online or offline. If you don't see it on the shelf, just ask the clerk to order a copy for you. Love Pull Over Me by Denise Turney, and they can get you a copy because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. And our guest has joined us today, so let me go and connect him. Good morning, good morning, Norwood. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing good. I, I said I, I I wasn't sure. I always never know what is happening if a guest doesn't dial in on time. I always try to get people. To well, dial in I heard it. you, and I was trying to to bring up the number online, and and uh, so I, I fumbled a bit, but I'm here. I'm sorry to be tardy, but I'm right here. And I was really intrigued with uh, your introduction about your book, Love Pour Over Me, because you're talking about male relations and male friendships. So I, I think I'm going to, you know, uh, go online and purchase that. As, uh, oh, well, as I, a topic I, 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 that's I was... not... I'm sorry? Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. You said the topic is... The, the topic, you don't see that a lot when, you, when you're talking about male bonding and male relationships. So I think that's uh, friendships, you know. So. Yeah. yeah, and that is something that is, and I don't know why that is. I really don't. That's It's almost like, I don't know if people don't expect that men really, really value relationships as much as women, but I think that men do. Even some men have friendships that go, I mean, they a childhood friendship or college friendship that could go for the rest of their life. It's exactly. not talked about a lot. It's not yeah, talked yeah. about a lot. It's more talked about with women, uh, but, but men do value relationships. That said, I want to introduce you to our off-the-shelf uh, listeners. We have our very special guest with us this morning, and we're so happy to have him with us. And our special guest today is Norwood Holland. He's a freelance writer and an attorney. So you're like, wow. Okay, he graduated from Harvard University School of Law. In addition, Howard. he has an <laughs> Howard. He has an English degree from Fisk. He is the author of the Drew Smith Legal Series, and I'm thinking of John Grisham. Every time I hear about an attorney who uh, writes novels, because John Grisham is an attorney who his novels just took off when he wrote his his books. And attorneys, I would imagine, have so much material they can use to write some page turners with. Uh, 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 Norwood's books in the Drew Smith legal series include Snakehead, what a title, Minus One, and his latest book is Sleepless Nights. And you can check Norwood out online at www.norwoodholland.com, and I'll spell it N-O-R-W-O-O-D-H-O-L-L-A-N-D.com. And again, that's N O R W O O D D H O L L A N D dot com. And I encourage you, as I do with each of our guests, this is one of the wonderful things about online radio. You can go over to his website right now and check him out and learn more about his books, even as you listen to him give his interview here on Off the Shelf this morning. We are so happy to have this mystery writer here with us this morning on Off the Shelf Radio. Welcome, 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 Norwood. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. 
We're so happy to have you here with us. I want to begin if you could tell us about your root, where you grew up, and how your childhood experiences helped shape you into the man and the writer you are today. Okay, I grew up in Alexandria, Virginia, it's the suburbs of Washington, D.C. Um, I was inspired to read uh, uh, at a very early age by my mother, and it was sort of accidental because she liked to read a lot of pulp fiction and romance novels, and um, they were always laying around the house. At a very young age, I started picking them up, and I was sort of weaned on those kind of books, uh, romance novels and, um, like I said, pulp fiction and uh, a lot of the, you know, dime novels with the sleazy covers, you know. She used to always say they were juicy, so I tried to read them to find out what juicy was about, and and I did. Uh, (laughs) So uh, I kind of got... I like that that genre. I like writing about that. And um, like I said, I I went away to school. I I studied at Fisk. I studied English. I I wanted to be a journalist, but I couldn't get into journalism school. So my second option was uh, law school. And um, it turned out to be the best thing for me. Wow. Because it helped me to, to broaden my interests in discipline and literature and it really helped provide a platform for my writing. Um, and that, you know, through my legal studies, I, like you said, there is a wealth of source material in the law. And I always liked John Gresham for his legal thrillers. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, why can't we have a black attorney who can <laughs> get in okay. the middle of the action like these mm-hmm. guys and... Of course, mm-hmm. I always liked Perry Mason, and I said, well, I'd like mm-hmm. to read a, a black Perry Mason. And um, actually, somebody beat me to the punch. It was Pamela Samuels Young came out with her legal thrillers. Oh, she okay. Had, she had black female <laughs> as a protagonist. Mm-hmm. So I did come out with the first black male attorney, um, and Ooh. that was the Drew Smith series. Okay. What attracted you to law, and how long have you been practicing law? And do you still practice today? Actually, I recently retired. So, okay. Um, I retired in March. Oh. Um, so I'm trying to write full-time now. Okay. Initially, I, was, I wasn't attracted to the law. I ended up going to law school by default. Because uh, when I graduated from college, I, I, I really wanted to either be an English professor or study journalism. I wanted to be a reporter. But I couldn't really find the opportunities or create the opportunities. So all my friends were going to law school. Uh, so I said, well, I'll, I'll go there by default. So I went to law school. And uh, after three years, I started working in labor relations, and um, I worked in various other fields, uh, intellectual property, and um, I came contracts, and then I came back to labor relations, and so I started working with labor unions. Um, I never did really do any criminal practice or criminal law. However, <laughs> my best friends from law school were both criminal attorneys, and so they always were my go-to guys when I needed to get information on research. And um, they usually okay. provide me with the details that I could include in my writing. Okay. So, how long did you practice law? And did you want to write books? Bef- you said you wanted to be a journalist, but did you want to write books before you started working as an attorney? And how long, how many years did you practice? Oh, let's say, I, I guess 35 years. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I always wanted to write books, but there never seemed to be time for it, you know. And uh, until, I guess, I guess in the 90s, I started planning the Drew Smith series. And over a ten-year period, uh, I wrote four manuscripts, and uh, 
I started sending them out to editors, and they were saying, oh, well, this is good, but this is not for us. So then I started going to pitch conferences in New York with the Algonquin uh, Writers Circle. Mm -hmm. And um, so I got uh, Sleepless Nights was the first one, and I got it into the hands of a couple of publishers and editors, and they kept saying, oh, well, this this is good, but it's not for us. Suggesting okay. that they couldn't they couldn't find an audience for it, right? So I decided, well, I'll publish it myself. Okay. So um, I and went on Kickstarter. Uh, like like our friend Spike Lee, I raised money to publish and promote the first mm-hmm. book, Sleepless Nights. So, um, and that was the beginning of the Juice Smith series. And thanks to to the authors, the writers, uh, and I can remember when I first came out, who did start self-publishing because they really changed. Uh, they, I mean, they've changed the book industry, and now major publishers respect, you know, a self-published author who respects his or her work, and gets has their work edited professionally edited and does a, a very professional job with their story. Uh, it's now respected. You know, if you don't do a professional job, that's still not respected. But if you do, it is. So it's always kudos to those who come out in front. And I think that was like in the 90s when it really started to take off. Who is Snakehead? Can you describe Snakehead for our off-the-shelf listeners? (laughs) Snakehead. Actually, Snakehead's not out yet. That's not coming out until the spring. Oh, okay. Uh, Okay, okay, Snakehead. Yeah, but Snakehead is about human trafficking, and uh, it's about oh my goodness. A, uh, it's about the Chinese smuggling in uh, women for sexual purposes and uh, illegal issues with illegal immigration, and, um, and the the book is in production right now. Like I said, it won't come out until next spring. Oh my goodness! I'm glad I'm glad you did. I asked you that though because that's a very interesting. See, from a legal point, I mean, you could probably never run out of story lines that people would want to know what is going to happen. And then with the Drew Smith, and I just thought of Walter Mosley with his uh, his series books. It's just like once you fall in love with that character, you just want to keep knowing what's going to happen to them. Now, can you tell our our listeners about Drew Smith? Is he overly confident? Does he think more highly of himself than he really should? Can you just give a plain a portrait of Drew Smith for our listeners? Uh, uh, Drew Smith is a, uh, a trial attorney in Washington, D.C. Uh, no, he's not overly confident. In fact, he has some confidence issues. He has lots of issues, psychological issues. Uh, but he has a support system around him. He has a, a sidekick named Julio, who's a, a Nicaraguan immigrant. And uh, then Sleepless Nights, which was the first book published in the series, Drew Smith uh, is dealing with an issue, uh, a a psychosis, I guess it's called. I guess it would be called as post-traumatic stress. But it's it's, it's a sickness that he, that grew out of 20 years from an experience when his best friend was killed, uh, which we talk about in the second book, Minus One. So you can read either book either in order or out of order. Minus One is the prequel, and uh, Drew Smith is, uh, when Drew is in his mid-30s practicing law, Minus One is when he first comes out of law school. Um, also, right, Sleepless Nights is the first one, but Minus One really was... It takes you more to, toward the beginning, right? Exactly. Right. We we go. We flash back to the beginning of his legal career. Um, is there a re- did you plan to do that? Is there a reason why you did that? Why didn't you come out with minus the minus one? Was you know starting with the beginning of his career instead of sleepless night? Was that with intent? Did you intend to do that? Yes, I did. There is. It's a method to my madness. You know, in storytelling. There's a there's a literary device called in media rest. It means you start in the middle of the action. So I thought with the first book, it's best to start the series when Drew is already in in business. He's in practice and he's 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 made his mark in his profession. 
and uh, that would create more curiosity. People would want to know more about Drew Smith, and so then that we'd go with the prequel, and we'd go back to when he first started practicing law. So I, I that very was, interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I've never I've I've seen writers do that, but most mm-hmm. start you know with it most follow from the earliest stage through. But I have seen writers start in the middle and then have another story after maybe one or two books that takes them the reader back to the beginning. I've actually we interviewed an author who maybe wrote three or four books in a series, and the last book went back to the beginning. So it it, it you know once the reader is engrossed in the character, he really can do that because they want to know what's going to happen next to the character. Now, in Sleepless Nights, you tell us Drew is dealing with some type of psychosis because of an event that has happened to him. Is this an event uh, that's related to a case he worked on or something that happened to him in his childhood or his personal life? Well, it it goes back to his first case when uh, he was... I, I deal with that in minus one. Uh, he, he graduates from law school. He he's, hasn't passed the bar. And while he's waiting for his bar results, he takes a part-time job as a concierge in uh, a four-star hotel. And he starts hanging with two bellmen, uh, Julio, who I told you would come inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's an Arab, uh, an Egyptian named Methad. And this this psychosis, uh, well, actually this post-traumatic stress, deals with um, Methat and what he encountered in Minus One. Um, so he's, uh, years later, he's having bad dreams about Methat. And so he has to, he goes to a psychiatrist to get help with that. And uh, there he, his, he meets a very attractive psychiatrist, her name is Zoe Settles, and of course she falls with psychiatrist, which that creates lots of issues. Yes, that's actually a big no-no. That's right, because she has, she has professional barriers. That yeah. she has oh, that's a big no-no. So, um, it makes wow, me a story. Yeah, he goes there to get help, and then he creates another issue for himself. <laughs> right. Because in the field of psychology, that is what you definitely, definitely don't cross that line. Right. I'm not saying so, psychologists never do, but you're not supposed to ever, ever, ever. I think there's even a, a I don't know if it varies by state, I think there's a law that if you're a psychologist, you're not even supposed to date a client unless until at least, at least two years have passed since you last worked with that client. you got to at least let two years pass because that that relationship, just the mind, uh, they just tell you don't do it. It's, it's, you're not supposed to, at a minimum of two years. So he's got himself. Drew, Drew, you, you, he, he's starting to evolve a little bit. Is he an only child? What's his relationship like with his parents? Uh, and and, and what, did he have a happy childhood? What was his? Can you give us some of his more of his backstory? He was in fact an only child. Uh, okay. His um, his. I think his, basically his father was like a postal worker and his mother was a school teacher. So he was sort of a middle-class uh, child, middle-class upbringing. Um, he was a bright student, a good student, yeah. And he's, he was very happy, very well-adjusted. In fact, uh, he he doesn't like the idea that when he first comes out of high school, he's really inexperienced, out of law school, he's really inexperienced in life. He's kind of had a sheltered environment. And here mm-hmm. these two street savvy guys, you know, uh, Methat and Julio, sort of take him under his wing, and uh, um, they sort of educate him. And at the same time, he's educating them because uh, uh, the fact that he is an only child, he has um, he's very well off. His parents have put him through law school, and they've showered him with with a nice car and a nice apartment, and he has nice clothes. And here his two buddies come on, come in, and they're sort of ragtag, and they start to take advantage of him. This is in minus one, and so mm-hmm. he has to deal with that. Um, but why that goes he, back. Why, to, 
why is he friends? This is now, I'm already curious. And I don't want to give the whole story away, but I'm curious. Why Why did, Why did? are they drawn, why is he drawn to these two guys as friends? Why? What is it? Good question. He, When he comes out of law school, he has always been, he's only associated with his schoolmates, school friends. So he comes out of law school. Uh, he went to Georgetown Law School. And all of his buddies have all gone back to their respective hometowns, you know. Uh, and Julius doesn't really have anybody to hang with. Uh, uh, he didn't have a girlfriend while he was in law school because he was always focused on his studies and he really didn't have time for a relationship. So by mm-hmm. the time he comes out of school and he has all this free time and no friends, you know, so these two come along and they start to bond and they start taking him out to clubs and parties and uh, he's, they give him a new social setting. So uh, there's that bonding process we go to that they think about male friendships that we were speaking mm-hmm. about earlier. So um, and of course, you know, they, they take advantage of him to a certain extent, but. So they're not really true friends. Well, they they do. They are. And uh they, in fact their relationship becomes more like the three musketeers because they they get into barroom brawls and when one gets into trouble the other two are there to sort of back him up. So they do become true friends. It doesn't start out that way. But that's Oh, okay, okay, okay. This is a very interesting book. <laughs> the thing is like for our listeners here at Off the Shelf, as I ask questions and the author answers them, you can get become even more and more intrigued and want to know what, why did they do that? Or because I'm thinking that doesn't sound like a friend, somebody who uses you. But you say that they they obviously don't use him to the point where he just wants to cut them off. Now, and 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 we keep reflecting back to minus one as we talk about sleepless nights. Now, sleepless nights is where. Uh, he's already met these two guys in Sleepless Nights because that starts in minus one. And he's having issues with what is happening with one character, and he goes to the psychologist. How long has he seen the psychologist, and are they able to keep their – I really don't want to get a story away, but without giving it away, could you shed some light on his and the psychologist's romantic relationship? How long are they – is he in therapy before that happens? And does that come at a cost, or are they able to keep it a secret? Without, I don't want you to get a story away. But. <laughs> well, uh, he goes to, in Sleepless Nights, he goes to Zoe because he is, in fact, having sleepless nights. And he's having these nightmares. But there's, a, there's another story going on at the same time. He discovers that he has a son, you know, and... Uh, wow that he didn't know he had. It's a grown son. The son is at the center of this robbery murder, and uh, the boy's mother comes to him and asks Drew for help. Drew can't deal with that, plus he's having these nightmares, and he's seeing this, this uh, exotic dancer, this this Puerto Rican stripper, stripper. So there are all sorts of complications going into his life. So that's what he shows up and drops on the psychologist to help him sort of sort out his life, you know. Um, he's only seeing her for about three three weeks, not even that long, I'm sure. Wow, oh my goodness. Of course she's Drew is a is a local celebrity and so so the psychologist Zoe is sort of taken with him, you know. And she really uh resisted having him as a client at first and she knows that she's attracted to him but she takes him on as a client, but uh, before long she realizes that, you know, it's complicated. And so she wow. wants to put, put the brakes on the relationship. Wow. Drew, Drew, Drew. Now, now <laughs> yeah. at minus one, is he is he going into college at the start of minus one, which is really the, the beginning of the story? Is he going into college at minus one? Is he just graduating from college? What's happening in his life? Do we get to see 
his relationship with his parents in minus one? Do we get to see anything happening in his childhood in minus one? What is happening at the start of that book? Uh, no, he's well. Let's see. He's been to college. He's been through law school, so that's about seven years. So he's about twenty-five or twenty. Yeah, about twenty-five when he comes out. Uh, that's the beginning. That's where we pick up. There is some interaction with his parents, but they have moved to North Carolina uh, and, and sort of started their retirement life, and he's still in D.C. So, okay. But there is some reaction with his parents, but not a whole lot. Um, his father uh, gives him the money to uh, help him set up his practices. Um, but... Uh, his parents must have worked a long time, though, because you said his father worked in postal and his mother was a school teacher. And I don't, wouldn't think that those two uh, professions would pay that well. So they must have been, and he's the only child, so they can devote, you know, their finances to him. But uh, they right. must have been working in their careers a long time, I'm thinking. Um, can you, what what draws Drew to law? And when you start minus one, do you jump right into a major mystery or a murder right away? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, in minus one, are we talking about? Or? Yes, minus one. Oh, yeah, yeah. In minus one, there is a, its first scene is a murder, you know, and... Uh, Met Hat is the prime suspect, in fact. In the second scene, the police are arresting him. So they have to, Drew and Julio have to find a way to free Met Hat of these charges. Uh, Met Hat is a, is a, a rich Egyptian boy. He's, he's, um, he went to school in... Uh, uh, North Africa, uh, but his mother is um, from Martinique, and his father is from a, he's an Egyptian family that's sort of high-born. They're very wealthy. Uh, he's in, his father is like an international businessman, but he and Methat fall out because Methat is uh, a womanizer. He has a cocaine habit, and his mm. father is. His father is tired of uh, financing this lifestyle, so he cuts yes. him off. So that's how Met Hat ends up working as a bellman in D.C. And so, these are intriguing he's... characters. Can you describe a few of the other major minor characters we've heard about? Met Hat and Julio, and of course Drew, the the the, the character who shows up in each of the books. But can you describe some of the other major minor characters? that will keep readers turning the pages in minus one? In minus one, uh, the, there's Met Hat, who I just described, and there's Julio. Julio comes from a family uh, uh, then they're uh, uh, immigrants. Uh, his parents, they fled... Um, Nicaragua in the 70s during the Noriega the war there and uh, he grew up Julio grew up with uh, he was the oldest and he grew up in Mount Pleasant the neighborhood in D.C. that's very uh, has a lot of Latin American immigrants and he got into the street gangs and street life uh, and at the time in his high school he had a girlfriend whose name was Nina. Nina mm-hmm. later becomes Drew's love interest when he comes out of law school. And he, it's Julio who introduces him to Nina. Um, mm-hmm. But Julio, uh, at, when Minus One opens up, Julio's father uh, had been killed in a construction accident, and Julio and his five siblings are... Uh, and his mother, Julio, becomes like the the uh, breadwinner for the family. Mm-hmm. And he's just he's just uh, so they're they're poor, and uh, Julio is trying to make money to keep his mother and his siblings and all um, to have, keep food on the table. Right. And so we have two very different types of characters. They all have varied backgrounds. Uh, 
uh, Mehat is highborn and he's wealthy, but he cuts off his uh, his father's support. Uh, mm-hmm. Julio is is a poor immigrant, and and Drew is basically a, a middle class African American. Um, there and is, they have their share of issues. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody's got them. issues. Yeah. Uh, Julio sounds the more stable to me. Of well, the three. he. He is the one. When you describe them, he sounds the more stable. He is. He's very religious. He's very. He's a Catholic, and uh, uh, he. He's everybody likes. Seems to prefer Julio over Drew. Uh, They think he has more compassion. He's more. Mm -hmm. uh, I I don't know. Maybe he's more three dimensional. But Julio has issues too because he falls in love with this. Filipina girl uh, uh, named Chevy, and they have a romance that's fast and serious, and and uh, Chevy gets pregnant. So he's Catholic, he's in love, they want to get married, but then he has his mother and all these sisters and brothers. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's like, you know, he has a heavy burden to carry with him in trying to balance his his family life, you know. And then he has his buddy, uh, uh, Methat, who gets kidnapped in minus one by these drug dealers because he's ran up a cocaine tab that he can't pay. Mm. So, Wow. Oh, my goodness. We are speaking with Norwood Holland. And Norwood, he, he's, he's recently retired, practiced for 35 years, which is impressive as an attorney. He's a freelance writer. He graduated from Howard and he also has an English degree from Fisk University. He's the author of the Jew Smith Legal Series. The books are uh, uh, Sleepless Nights, Minus One, and Snakehead, which he is working on. And he is online at NorwoodHolland.com. That's N-O-R-W-O-O-D-H-O-L-L-A-N-D.com. You can drop over there and check out his website, even as you enjoy uh, the remaining part of today's interview. I wanted to ask you next, uh, what was the hardest part or what were the hardest parts for you in your first book, the first time you wrote a novel? What were the hardest parts of Sleepless Nights to write? Oh, uh, it was it was the rising action, you know, uh, they say to to keep the reader's interest, uh, they, you couldn't have any moments where there was a lull. Uh, for rising action, you had to you had to keep raising the stakes for Drew, and he had to keep encountering uh, barriers and disappointment. So that's that's the hardest part for me, anyway, is creating those those setting him up to be knocked down again. You know, to, to to each time to get him closer to reaching his goal, only to have it snatched away from him. So, um, as I, I, the, the technique is called raising the stakes, and that was the most difficult for me is in, is in the plotting process. You know, uh, that's what keeps the reader engaged and keeps them turning the pages. Uh, yeah, you you but, know, I love to. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, but that's the fun of it all. I love to read books because of the author's style. You know, it's so funny. I have to care about the character and the author's style. I don't always need to see something always major happening. But I I do think, and as a writer, I've been taught the same thing. People, you've got to make something happen in every chapter. And that can sometimes feel like you're forcing, you almost feel like you're forcing things to happen but readers won't stick with it if you don't constantly make something happen in every single chapter. Something major has got to has got to be going on in every single chapter. Even though our lives aren't always that way, but that's what readers want to see something, some cliffhanger in every every, yeah. every chapter of the book. There has to be tension and and. Mm-hmm. Depends on how well you know your characters. What I experienced 
a lot is that my characters will take over the story. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I'm saying, well, where did that come from? And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just like they're dictating <laughs> yeah. in my mind, you know, the next scene. But you have to have tension, and, and that's what mm-hmm. that's what draws the reader in, uh, tension and conflict. Mm-hmm. And I've heard so many writers say that the, the character begins to take over. I tell you, I've heard so many writers say that. What were the easiest parts of Sleepless Nights to write? Were you just that? I mean, the words were just flowing. What were the easiest parts for you? I think the easiest part was the end, when you're tying it all together and uh, uh, you're satisfied, your characters are satisfied, and you want your readers to be satisfied. So um, I think that at the end there's this huge emotional release. And that mm-hmm. came easy. That came easy because, uh, as the author, I was sort of releasing, you know, mm-hmm. all the the tension and the conflict that had built up for like three hundred and some pages. So. Yeah. Wow. Now, how realistic, uh, based on your your experience, thirty five years practicing attorney, how realistic are movie and novel court slash legal stories to real-life court cases. I often hear attorneys say, that's not the way it happens. How realistic would you say they are to real life? Well, from what I've seen, many of them are pretty much realistic. Uh, hmm. uh, but then again, I've had like some attorneys saying, oh, well, no, it, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. I think stories like Law and Order, you know, they sort of Compact a lot into thirty minutes, so mm-hmm. uh, and and they're asking you to suspend your belief, you know. But I, they're based on reality, and in my books, I actually go to the news stories and pick out incidents and stories and subjects. Uh, minus one, I mean, Sleepless Nights is based on. Uh, the, an actual crime here in D.C. called the Colonel Bush wow. murders, oh. and um, so I read about the uh, the perpetrator more or less, and uh, I you know would pull the police files and get the details on the characters and some of the incidents and try to use that in my stories. So that's um, I try to present realistic details, you know. Um, now the court scenes uh, that's sometimes difficult because a lot of times uh, it depends on who a judge is in a case and who the attorneys are and um, so I, I sort of create these prototypes of the, of the prosecuting attorney and of course and Drew's personality and it depends on who the, the judge is but there's um there's room for reality and fantasy. So. Right, right. Now, writing teaches the writer a lot. And I think if, when when you're writing, I think it actually the process teaches perhaps the author more about him or herself than the readers may learn about themselves. What did you learn uh, while writing these Drew Smith series about yourself? that you didn't know before you sat down to write the books? Well, people always ask me, are you Drew Smith? (laughs) Mm. And I said, not hardly. I said, I wish, but um, Drew Smith has a sense of adventure, and uh, uh, I have a sense of adventure. Um, But Drew acts on his emotions or his drives and sometimes I don't really I just sort of like contemplate them and dream about them Uh, but I'm not sure I learned a lot about myself since this is all pretty much fantasy and uh, people think that Juice Smith is based on my actual life experiences and they are they are based on uh, fantasies Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, so. Okay. 
so the yeah. process itself, you 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 didn't. But there wasn't a lot that you learned about yourself through just the actual process of of writing. Um, are your books available in print and ebook? Can you tell our off the shelf listeners where they could get copies of your book, Sleepless Nights and Minus One? You're still working on Snakehead. Right. Uh, they are available in both. Uh, paperback and ebooks. Sleepless Nights is also available in hardcover. And you can get them at Barnes and Noble, Amazon.com, uh, Kobo, Sony Books, iTunes, uh, anywhere online. Just Google the Drew Smith series of Norwood Holland. And they're available on my website as well, NorwoodHolland.com. No, okay, okay. So pretty much, and then again, I'm sure if you don't see it on the shelves to our off-the-shelf listeners, uh, any other uh, Drew Smith series books, you could ask the clerk at the bookstore for it, and they could probably order it for you. And then what you usually get is a postcard in the mail or an email, and they'll tell you that the book's arrived, and you can just go to the bookstore and pick up your copy. What have readers been saying? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say absolutely. Just just tell them uh and uh, Barnes and Noble, any bookstore you go to, and they'll they'll order it for you. Yeah. What what have readers been saying to you about Sleepless Nights? What what's the type of feedback you've been hearing from readers uh, about the book? Oh wow! Hey, I was really <laughs> surprised because I think I uh, I've given about seventeen reviews of Sleepless Nights, and they're all pretty much. I'm flattering to me because they talk about how it's such a page turner and how they love the characters and they love the action in the story. Uh, it's been very favorable. The readers, uh, they want more. You know? mm-hmm. and the problem is, is <laughs> even though I, it took me 10 years to pull this together, I can't, uh, you know, there's so many other things going in in, in my life that I couldn't, produce them all so fast but um mm-hmm. they so you love come Drew out with smith. the book of, oh go ahead go ahead they, they, they love, love Drew smith. smith they love julio and met hat and yes i i come out with a book every year one a oh year. i think that's good well yeah but some writers come out with two a year and yeah. but i can't i can't work that fast and some do three and four but you know. yes I figure after about the fifth one, I'll be on a roll. So I'm I'm still a neophyte to this and in, in, in the beginning stages, and I'm building a, a solid, good platform. So that is very good. Uh, are you are you still self-publishing, or at this point, have you picked up a, a publisher, whether it's a, a, a large or small publisher, or do or do you even want to do that? Well. I'm I'm still self-publishing. At least I hold all the rights to Sleepless Nights and Minus One. But mm-hmm. I think Snakehead is is is, is going to be a blockbuster. So okay. I want to shop that around the publishers first, and hopefully, uh, if possible, I can get broaden my appeal uh, with a major publisher. Mm-hmm. But if that doesn't happen, I will keep doing what I'm doing. You know. Wow, I think that's to to sell one major publisher. And even and usually what happens then they'll just take them all, you know. So yeah, and and even if you do, you still have to get out and market. You know, writers are learning more and more. Years ago, the publisher really took care of a lot of that for you, and you just did a, a, a a. like a I don't know maybe a twenty city tour which is still grueling but they put a, the money into that today they're just telling the authors you know you have to do a lot of that promotion yourself self publishing I really say it's not that different from go, going to a traditional publisher only that you don't have to uh, take care of the printing costs yourself when you go to a traditional but everything else just about you have to do and the hard work really does come I think. With marketing your book, that's whether you go to a traditional publisher or not. Because if that book doesn't sell, even if you're with a traditional publisher, they're probably not going to keep you on because they're in business to make money. I wanted to ask you: Does writing come naturally to you? I know you said you thought about majoring in journalism, but you decided no, and then you went into law school. But 
does it come naturally? Have you been writing since you were a young kid? Or did you take professional writing courses to learn how to write novels? Is this something you took professional training to do, or does it does it come relatively natural for you? Uh, I think there was a natural inclination to write, yes. It started very early. Um, I think I was about 12 years old. I read a book called, uh, my mother had laying around, Never Love a Stranger, and I wrote up a book review like that. I would read them in the New York Times, and and I wrote up the review in, inside the book jacket. <laughs> I remember I was in eighth grade, and a little girl behind me, you know, took the book and she read the review and she said, "Wow, did you write that?" And I said, "Yeah." But yes, um, I started early. I think I I had a leaning towards writing. I never, I other than studying writing and taking college courses, writing novels or fiction itself to me was a a, a self-learning experience. I started subscribing to Writer's Digest magazine, and I started uh, reading books on on how to write novels. Uh, I really took it seriously, and I I had to learn stuff about uh, voice and and point of view and plot and structure, and most of that I taught myself. And uh, what and it's about being professional. Um, so even though uh, a lot of times publishers weren't uh, publishers are not going to take you on and try to edit your own own work, so right. you need to learn yeah. how to to self edit your work. And mm-hmm. then, uh, in, in the case with uh, self publishing and independent publishers, you still have to go out and hire an editor. I mean, yep. it's all being about professionalism. And sometimes mm-hmm. as writers, we're too close to our work. Yes, I I totally agree. Be, even even when you go over something twenty times, uh, an editor reads it and catches something, and you're like, "How come I never saw that?" Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you're like, "How come I never I never saw that?" As we come down to our last eight minutes. I want to also ask you a few questions for our off-the-shelf listeners who themselves might be thinking of publishing a book, or they may have already published one, and they might be struggling either to get more sales or to improve their writing. I always like to share tips and advice with them from our guest point of view that can help them as they continue to move forward in their own careers. That said, has the process of publishing and selling a book been what you thought it would be before you first were published? And if not, how has it been different? It's it's a lot different than I first thought it would. And it's a lot more difficult. Um, it's been a learning experience for me. But the, the you get support in your from your your community. So I think you know when you start out, you have to be a part of a writing community. Uh, you have to have colleagues. You have to go to writers' conferences. You have to go to to book um, book festivals. Uh, you have to get to know who the readers are, what they're buying, what they're interested in, and you start to learn that as you as you study the market and as you study the field of publishing itself. And you get connected professionally. Uh, one of the first things I did was I, uh, I joined the Mid-Atlantic Book Publishers Association, which is basically an organization of independent book publishers. Um, they bring in a lot of professional help. They bring in speakers and authors that speak to you about publishing and marketing. And that's very important. Marketing is very important. Yes, you have to know yes, yes, yes. <laughs> how to get the word out there. So, and I think organizations like uh, the the Book Publishing Association have helped me to do that. You know? um, mm-hmm. And that's that's what I recommend uh, to get into a writing community, hook up with other authors, go to book festivals, uh, uh, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Take writing classes or 
and continue to study because it, the industry is changing just like the music industry and the marketing, print marketing, and et cetera. You have to continue to study the market. You have to stay abreast of changes in social media marketing, exactly, offline marketing because exactly. it's always changing. So it's not like you say, oh, I have learned I learned this 10 years ago. Well, th- what you learned 10 years ago might not even be that effective today. So you have to continue to learn and learn and learn. And then at the same time, continue to improve your own writing. So it's like you have to wear more than one hat. That said, what, what marketing tips, if you could share two to three tips with off-the-shelf listeners, have you found that have been helpful for you as you continue to market your books? Well, social media is very important. Like I said, ten years ago, there wasn't a Facebook or Twitter, mm-hmm. you know. So, and uh, you really studying social media strategy, social media marketing. Now, I don't like to go on Facebook or, or Twitter and and just constantly hawking my books. So, mm-hmm. but I, but it's important to once you get people interested. It's to be engaging, and people want to mm-hmm. know more about you than they want to know more about your books. So there's a certain way that you do that. And, and the same thing with Twitter. Well, I, I think I opened my Twitter account about three years ago, and I didn't know what the heck that was all about. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And uh, and just now I'm really getting into the flow and learning it, learning about it. Uh, and then I, I started a blog page about three years ago, too, as well. And I talked about that, you know, what is this Twitter? What, what is this all about? And mm-hmm. so as I began to develop my blog, with my blog posts, and I started tweeting this, I started to get into the to the ebb and flow of what Twitter was all about. So, again, it's a learning experience and engaging social media. I mean, there's so much to learn. Uh, because mm-hmm. it keeps changing. I it also does. do freelance writing for clients and some social media marketing for clients and content marketing, a lot of that. And it, it just keeps changing. So you have to keep continue to educate yourself and stay abreast of the changes. And that said, I would share this tip with our off-the-shelf listeners. Whether you're a writer or a small business owner, whether you're in, you, you, you work in some other industry or you aspire to, the work that you might do for either an employer now or a client as a freelancer, you can use things you learn there to even advance your own writing career or your whatever your passion is. So wherever you are, there's something you can gain. There's something you can learn. Even if you're working in a field that seems so far removed from what you want to do, there's something you could learn there. I always tell people if you work for an employer who offers tuition assistance or some online training, I take advantage of that. You never know when something you learned years ago will come back to be of value to you in, in the future. Can you tell us you're on Twitter, you're on Facebook, are there any other social media networks you're on as we come down to the last few minutes of today's show? Uh, well, uh, Pinterest, I'm on that, but basically mm-hmm. I'm I'm most on Facebook and Twitter. Facebook and Twitter. And tell our listeners once again where they can get copies of your books. Uh, my books are available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Kobo, uh, iTunes, and my website, NorwoodHolland.com. And Snakehead, when when again did you say Snakehead would be out? Snakehead, it comes out in February. So. Next February? Oh, we don't have long to wait. February, no, February 2014, yeah. you don't have long to wait, about six, seven months, and you can enjoy the next book in the Juice Smith series, which is Snakewood, Snakehead. We are so happy to have had Norwood Holland here with us this morning, the author of the Juice Smith series. If you if you just came in late to today's interview, please go back and listen to the entire interview after it finishes streaming, and it will be up here on Off the Shelf Radio indefinitely, so you can go back and listen to the interview and get tips, learn more about the characters, and what, uh, and even more about Norwood himself as an author as you uh, enjoy today's show. We want to thank Norwood for being here with us. Enjoy today's interview, and definitely enjoyed learning about Drew Smith and his 
Julio and Matt Hat enjoyed learning about the uh, the characters in the Drew Smith series. Very, very intriguing book, and I encourage all of our off-the-shelf listeners to go and get a copy of the um, there's Sleepless Nights and Minus One and then Snakehead, uh, expected to be out February of 2014. Website is norwoodholland.com. You can go learn more about his books and what he's doing uh, there. You think about the the John Grisham books and how it just – off the cliff page turning they are and you can get the same entertainment in the Juice Smith series books. For our listeners, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here with us today. Please tell your colleagues, your families, your friends, your neighbors, everybody you know to tune in to Off the Shelf Saturday mornings, 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time or New York City time. Anywhere in the world you can tune in. Tell everybody to tune in to Off the Shelf at 11 o'clock. And as I always tell you, you are so incredibly valued. You are awesome. You are absolutely fabulous. Go out and create a wonderful day for yourself today. See you back here next Saturday at 11 o'clock in the morning. We will bring you another phenomenal guest. Thank you, thank you, Norwood, for being here with us today. Bye for thank now. You. Norwood, I'll shoot you an email. All right, bye.